Hi, I'm Mike Pickles, and you're listening to the Daily Deal Podcast. We hear about inspirational stories from folks like you and I. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Another episode of the Daily Deal Podcast with Mike Pickles. And today's guest, he is a business person, uh, lots of leadership. He's been in the wireless security as well as technology fields as well. He's done a lot. Um, Please welcome today, Patrick Boulette. Thank you, Mike. Did I pronounce your name properly? Last name? I mean, if, if that it's a French Canadian name, so if you pronounce it that way, then it must be more accurate, probably than than the way I pronounce it. I would assume. How would you pronounce it? So I've been told, at least, it's pronounced "brew yet." Ah, okay. I can see that too. I can see that too. The "brew yet." Okay. So Patrick Bruyette or Patrick Bruyette. Um, also, I forgot to mention, sorry, he's also the host or co-host of 9 to 5 Hacker, Hackers podcast. So we'll talk about that too as well. So, but first of all, because you have so many adventures here, so many adventures, can we talk about your ones in the business world? Sure. So I come from a corporate America background. Um, I've worked for a lot of Fortune 500 companies. And through the years, I've had some entrepreneurial I guess, ventures on the side. And I know a lot of people tend to, you know, want to open up their own business and they kind of dabble in some things and they find themselves maybe taking a hobby or a passion to the next level. And that's what I was kind of doing. You know, I was, I was, uh, you know, managing some e-commerce stores and selling some things online. And, and even since college, I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit, but I never really, you know, solely did my own business, you know, and I think it opened up recently with COVID, it opened up a lot of opportunity for a lot of people to take that dream to the next level. If they were laid off or underemployed, whatever the case was for them, um, because doing something on the side, I I feel you really don't put all your effort into it and your back's not up against the wall where you have to survive on it. So if you you're able to, um, you know, take that dream and, and turn it into a full-time job. Um, you'll be a lot happier in your life in general. Yeah, that reminds me of that TV show, uh, Shark Tank, uh, Dragon's Den. Uh, they say the same thing. Like when they're about to invest in somebody on the show, the first question they ask is, "Are you doing this full-time?" So as soon as, as soon as somebody answers, "No, it's just <laughs> a side, it's just a side gig I'm doing," they're like, "Sorry, we're not interested. You got to be you got to be fully in." Yeah, yeah, you're fully invested, your, your mind and everything, even if your family is wrapped up into it, or if you've got any capital uh, investment, maybe you put your house on the line, not saying that's a good idea to do, but it really shows you have some skin in the game. That's right. I think that's the important term, uh, skin in the game. Now, I know you've done a lot in the field of leadership as well. So did that come from the business side of things or? Yeah, um, I always felt that I had a, a knack for natural leadership. And thinking back just philosophically, um, I think people do naturally find themselves leaning towards more of a leadership ability. Um, I don't think it's something that you can really teach or train. 
Um, just if you look around and maybe if you think about people that you've worked with, they may have just natural leadership abilities where you find people, maybe if you're the leader, you find people coming up to you, asking you questions, um, you know, leaning on you for support or just leadership in general, what should I do or this or that or the other. And, you know, my father was a pastor and I would see him preach in the church um, and he was a natural leader, you know, and I kind of saw that growing up and he, he worked for the YMCA uh, here in Chicago and he was a, a national uh, sales or IT director for software development. So he led a team of about, you know, 10 to 12 software developers. And that was kind of like my role model growing up. And I was very introverted, you know, as a lot of people are, it was a very quiet upbringing and household that I grew up in. So it took me a while to really get, get outside of my shell, but taking an outside sales role early on in my career, I worked retail, you know, I, I worked in those crappy jobs, like working at McDonald's or, uh, you know, working at Home Depot and those types of stores being treated like garbage by the general public. And I got into a sales capacity and it kind of brought me outside in my shell and it made me uh, force myself to be uncomfortable. And I think that applies to people starting your own business, make yourself uncomfortable, do things that normally you wouldn't like to do because, um, you know, failure in your dreams is comfortable. You know, it's easy to fail, you know, but it's hard to go out there and, and, and try to put yourself into uncomfortable positions. Um, like I, I'm just actually writing a blog article um, about social media advertising for business owners. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with using TikTok and putting themselves on video, but it's, it's making yourself uncomfortable and doing those things that your competition isn't willing to do, you know, and that's, what's going to set you out, uh, outside and set you apart from, from those other companies. Yeah, I agree with you. I really like what you said when you said you have to make yourself uncomfortable, like go outside your, uh, your comfort zone, your comfort box, uh, Mm -hmm. It makes me think of Zig Ziglar, especially about sales. I read a lot of his books and Zig Ziglar was a phenomenal salesperson as well as a public speaker, a motivational speaker. But he definitely said the same thing you're saying is that, um, especially in sales, I mean, you can't be an introvert in sales. You're not going to sell anything. So you have to learn to take no, you have to learn to take risks and you have to keep just pushing yourself. So, so good for you. Exactly. Yeah. And it, I almost found myself um, being somewhat of an actor in some ways where you could kind of, I know a lot of salespeople could probably identify with this where you could kind of turn it on and off. You know, even if you're having a really crappy day, the customer is never going to know you'll be smiling and you're talking to them and, and, and you, you just kind of, as soon as you get out outside of your car, you go inside the business or maybe it's just a phone call or a zoom, whatever it is. Um, you have an ability just to kind of, um, turn that ability on to identify with the customer. And it doesn't matter how crappy you feel because you don't want to portray that to the customer because then it's going to affect you. That's going to affect your sales. Customer's not going to feel comfortable with buying from you. There's a whole confidence factor um, that goes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's some good advice. So kind of like a fake it till you make it a mindset. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like you can't show them your cards. That's what you're saying. You know, if you're having a bad day, you just, you don't let on that you are and you just keep moving forward in a positive nature and then you'll probably make that sale. Yep, yep. And people kind of, I mean, I do have a positive nature. I know you preach positivity and that definitely is important. And it is hard to stay positive a lot of the time. I mean, it's easy to think of those negative things in your life. Maybe you don't have a lot of money or anticipating those bills coming in. But what I always say is that, worry is not going to solve any problems. 
it's not going to provide a solution for you. So sitting there worrying is not what you want to do. Um, I know it's easy to fall into that trap. And of course, we all worry. It's okay once in a while, but just don't go down that rabbit hole of worrying about things because then it affects your whole demeanor. Um, and then people see that and people, I think, flock towards positive people versus negative people and misery loves company. So it's almost like a magnet people that are miserable and you probably know them in your life. Um, they, they kind of want you to be miserable with them and they want to complain and they, they want to do this and that. And I've worked a lot of jobs where um, there was miserable people there. And I'm like, well, why don't you make a change then? You know, why don't you make a change in your life? I mean, I mean, we're all consumers and we all, you know, consume, we go to fast food restaurants, we go to different places and you see uh, people that are miserable with their jobs and they just feel crappy all the time. So they treat you like crap in uh, reciprocation. And um, it's just, it's a mindset, you know, and it's like, okay, well get a new job. Then if you're so miserable, um, you do have the opportunity to do anything in your life. If, if you have a dream of something, um, you know, put it on paper and see through to the plan. And if it doesn't work, try again. That's all it really is. That's right. Yeah, I agree. Like if you just stay put, if you just, I mean, we can't always control, actually, we can probably never control what happens around us uh, for the most part, but we definitely can, you know, control ourselves or how we respond to it. So like the example you gave is 100% correct. Like if you don't like something, then remove yourself from that situation. Like if you can, um, or at least change your mindset while you're still in that situation and look for something better. But there are ways out. You got to look for solution oriented instead of problem oriented. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've done a lot of interviewing in my past, you know, working in leadership in corporate America. And um, I've always had kind of a, a sixth sense to read people. I don't know where it comes from, but I was always a great interviewer because I can really, it's not really even specific questions per se. It's just how people answer the questions and their demeanor and the way maybe they beat around the bush with certain topics that I could kind of say, okay, this person is not a good hire. This person is a good hire maybe not to somebody else. They may not see that. And they didn't say anything that really led to that, um, you know, end result or opinion, but you can kind of see, um, you know, see through all the BS is really what it is. Um, a lot of people tend to you know, conflate the truth and they really don't want to um, have you see through, especially with interviews, you know, when you're doing an interview, I don't know if you've ever done interviews for like new employees and stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of people that, I mean, obviously that's the nature of the game, right? You have to put your best foot forward and they may kind of stretch the truth a little bit. Yeah. On that note, I, I find it's a little more difficult or challenging today uh, because of COVID. A lot of these interviews are being done via Zoom remotely, right? At a distance. So you don't really get a, a, as, at least I don't, you don't get as good a feel for that person when you're sitting there, look them in the eye and you can see them, you know, it's just different. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that, but I think the video aspect is still kind of gives you some of the ability to read the the body language and things like that. Um, I know it's definitely not the same, and it's been a, a big whirlwind for me because I came from outside sales, and that that was the whole shtick, you know. And that was what you were you had to do was get in front of someone. That was always the end goal: is I need to set up meetings with you know whatever it is, five to ten business customers next week or every week. And the goal was to get in front of them and convince them in person um, to buy your product or service. And if you have that component missing where um, you're not able to physically sit with them or 
you know, take them out to lunch or go to an event with them. It, it definitely hinders a lot of the ability um, on the sales side to acquire new customers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was just here. I was just sitting here thinking that, uh, cause you got a good, a good, uh, skill at having a read on people. Have you played Texas mm -hmm. Hold'em? You play poker? You'd be good at that in that sense. You know, I, I never have really got into it. I, I guess I would be cause what are they, you, it's all about reading in their face and what their cards are. Right. I mean, that's, I've never played it, so I don't know, but I guess I could be good at it. Maybe I should try. Yeah, there, there's skill at it, of course, and there's also luck, but then there's reading the other person. You know, the person pretends they have a good hand and you're reading that they don't, or the person has a good yeah. hand and then you're reading and you fold so you don't get trapped by bidding too much. So someone like you, I think, would do well because you have that side, that skill. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, not to say it's psychic, but the ability to kind of read people. Um, and even over a phone call, a lot of the time, I, I can't really see the person of course if it's just audio but i can feel by the inflections in their voice and things like that if they're being truthful or if, or if they're or for the trustworthy you know if i'm talking to a business owner the way that you know the longer the conversation goes on i the more i can tell but i can tell if it's someone that i want to do business with or not because i've i've called this out i have a referral partner that i work with locally and she has sent me i mean god bless her she has sent me probably five or six customers paying customers and there was a couple duds in there. There was a couple that, you know, they did end up paying me, um, but they were customers that I really didn't want, if you know what I mean, where yeah. they were more of a pain than what was worth. And they complained and they didn't, you know, they didn't see the value no matter what I did, even if I was, you know, over delivering of everything that I said I was going to do, they weren't happy. Um, and I had predicted that to, to her and I said, hey, um, you know, these, these customers, because she was getting milked. She wasn't getting paid by them. Basically she was doing free stuff. She's like, well, I hope they're going to turn around. And I said, these customers are not going to work out for you. Um, because I just, I'm able to read them and I know they're going to be a problem. And lo and behold, they were. And she's like, I don't know how you knew that. So it's just, it, it's kind of weird, but I know I have the skill. Yeah. It's a definitely, it's, a, it's definitely an amazing skill to have. Now, speaking about customers, you talk about customers there. I know you've done some stuff in the wireless technology or security field. Could you, could you elaborate mm -hmm. on there? Sure. So when I, right when I got out of college, so in college, I actually, um, my, my degree is in media management, which sounds very vague, but I went for film. I went for audio engineering, uh, digital media. So all the digital arts basically is what my bachelor's degree is in. And then when I graduated, I sold security systems for ADT security. So I was an outside salesperson um, for a couple of years. And then I ended up going to Verizon Wireless. I sold uh, business um, technology, basically cell phone plans for medium to large uh, companies. So, you know, if a company had like 500 phones, I would, you know, I would sell them the plans. I would sell them the phones. I would go out there, do the rollouts. And then I worked for, um, which was a lot of my experiences in the security industry. So electronic security, selling wireless networks to um, police departments, libraries, uh, village halls, large manufacturers, distributors, selling uh, video surveillance, you know, like CCTV, type systems, um, everything interconnected, low voltage. Um, that was kind of what my experience has been, um, specifically commercial. I haven't really done the residential thing, um, except for my business now. Um, I dabble in contracting a little bit, but most of my experience over the last 16 years is technology. Okay. 
And in that field, well, especially sales, but in the field of sales, whether it's technology, security, whatever you want to call it, um, mm -hmm. in the field of technology, I guess, do you find it's for sales? I'm talking about sales. Do you find it's better today, worse, the same, doesn't really matter? Which, what's your thought on that? Um, I mean, as just a broad brush stroke, um, I would say it's worse just to, going back to that aspect of, especially for outside sales. I mean, it, I've always said it's been a skill set to be able to um, sell someone in general, but everybody has different skill sets, whether it's prospecting, closing, um, you know, farming or hunting, they kind of divide it up that way. And I've, I always excelled at outside sales just because I've, I don't know, I guess I'm just good with people and people trust me. And you kind of have to switch your skill set from being an in-person salesperson to more of a over the phone or virtual salesperson. I was just talking to a gentleman yesterday, you know, he's been a high level leader for, you know, probably over 30 years. He's almost 60 years old now. And he's, he was talking about the last year. It's been difficult because he is old school, obviously, you know, from the baby boomer generation. Mm -hmm. And he struggles with the whole virtual thing. He's like, I can do the phone, but for me to sell somebody through a Zoom is difficult. You know, and when, as you get older, it is more difficult to adapt to the changing environment. I'm, I'm able to pivot and I just got to make it work. I mean, I have no choice. If I want to make sales, I have to pivot and make it work. Uh, but I think as a whole, yeah, the sales industry, I think, has suffered. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that pivot part, like you said, again, that, that's, a, that's a skill in itself. You know, that adaptability, whether it's technology, whatever it is, if you can, if you can pivot, if you can be adaptable, especially on the fly, then you definitely have an, an advantage over someone who can't. Yep, exactly right. Yeah, and where do you think you learned that skill from, or you, maybe you just had it from your upbringing? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just young enough to be able to do it. I don't I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm very adaptable. Uh, my father, he passed away when he was, I think about 67 uh, due to cirrhosis of the liver. But I mean, even in his late sixties, he was always, I mean, he had an iPhone, you know, and he was a, I mean, he was part of, um, you know, developing new software and he was always involved with technology and he always adapted. And I know like a lot of, you know, 60 plus year olds really, not that they don't embrace it, um, but they don't really understand the technology. They don't know how, to, know how to use it. I mean, I feel like a genius when I help my mother with her iPad, you know, I mean, she'll call me and say, I don't know what I did, but I created a new, uh, created a new Facebook account and I can't get into the Wi-Fi." And I'm just like, go in the settings, do this. It's usually something very simple. And it, she's been, it's been bothering her for like days, you know, and I just call her and, and, and I fix it. Oh my God. You know, that I'm, I just feel smart, I guess in that way, but I think it is hard for the, 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 the older people, I guess, to adapt, but there's always exceptions to the rule. There's always going to be older people that, you know, of course can, uh, you know, embrace the new technology and, and master it. Yeah, for sure. Like we have uh, two children over here, one's 15 and one's seven and mm -hmm. technology, they just fly through it. Like they're far better than I am. Like they have no fear. They just jump in and they figure it out. Yep. Yep. It's just a lot of trial and error. I think that's right. And the confidence, like they have the confidence. We didn't grow up with that per se. So they just yep. jump in and they do it. That's their language. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've talked about it on my podcast as well. I, it just the lack of uh, teaching the young kids about um, the importance and the, the types of tools that computers and technology devices are. Um, because they, like you said, I mean, you just give them a, you give them a device and just figure it out. 
instead of saying, hey, this is how you use it. This is the reason why we have these. This is the history of these devices. I mean, because I know when you were going to school, it was probably the same way as me where, you know, they, they taught us a lot about computers and they were used as tools. And I, I think, I don't know if we talked about it when you were on, uh, on our episode um, about the way that technology is taught today. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of strange. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, I think it's to the detriment of the future generations because a lot of my customers, believe it or not, are younger than me significantly. I've got a lot of customers that are in their 20s and they don't understand the business side of social media and digital marketing. They don't even know what SEO is or how to do it. Um, social media management, they're better at it than me, I'll admit that because um, I'll hire a younger person to do that and they're just on social media 24 seven. But when it comes to the business tools and how to make money from these um, different platforms, I think they struggle with it for the most part. Yeah, I think you're right. From my observations anyway, they just sort of use it as entertainment. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's a yeah. toy. Basically. It's a toy, it's fun, yeah, but that's as far as it goes for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you studied media management. Where did you do that? Where'd you go to school for that? So Columbia College Chicago um, is an art school. And as most young people, I, I changed, you know, I changed direction so many times in high school. I found that I had a knack for uh, photography. You know, I won a couple of awards in high school for some of my photos and I was good at it. I was good at Photoshop, you know, and, and editing and, and developing photos and know how the different angles. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go into photography, but I didn't see a lot of money in that. So I made the decision to go into film, which I've always loved movies and it's basically moving photos, right? It's just film, film is just photos in motion. So I decided to, to go into film and within about two years, I'm, I'm kind of a rebellious person and I didn't like the structure and what a lot of teachers were saying, because in Columbia College specifically, the teachers actually have to be, you know, employed in that specific art or trade that they're teaching. And, you know, I took screenwriting and I took film production and a lot of what they were saying was, hey, you got to fit this mold. This is what Hollywood needs. It needs to start like this, the story. There needs to be the climax. It needs to end like this. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do that, though. I mean, then you kind of get thrown into the indie field for movies. And uh, there's, not, there's not a mass audience for that, I feel. There's not a lot of money in it. So, again, I'm like, okay, well, maybe film's not a good idea. I love music. I'm going to go into music. So I went into audio engineering. So I took uh, maybe one year, year and a half of audio engineering. And <laughs> so same type of thing happened. I was going, I did well at it. I took electronics and theory and uh, different physics class, physics of electronics and all these different things. And I've always had a knack for electronics. And um, one of my teachers, they were, um, uh, what was, I can't remember his name. He was a great teacher. He's a great professor, but um, he actually plays in a band with Gary Sinise. I think it's called the uh, Lieutenant Dan Band. And uh, he's, I don't know if he's a guitarist or whatever, but great professor. And he's, he told the, 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 the class, he's like, if you were going into this industry, I would get out now because it's a dying industry. And even the top engineers are being laid off because this was all during like the Napster age, you know, when everything was going digital, where it was going from CDs to digital, all the piracy stuff going on. So he had recommended. And so I, I booked a, booked a time with them after class. I'm like, Hey, 
um, you said that you don't recommend going into this field. I'm going, I'm paying a lot of money to go here. What do you recommend? He's like, get a management degree, get a media management degree. He's like, all your classes that you've taken already will be applicable. And he's like, worst case scenario, you'll be a manager at McDonald's. That's what he told me. And I took his, I took his advice and I got a media management degree. But another topic of conversation, which would be a whole nother episode, is just college education in general. I think that was a waste. Um, I did learn a good amount, a fair amount, but it wasn't applicable to my life in any way, shape, or form. I guess it's coming to fruition a little bit more now with the video editing and stuff I do now, but um, I think it would have been better served, um, I don't know, maybe traveling the world or working for um, a company that maybe uh, would teach me better skills that were applicable to my life. Wow, that's a good story there, Patrick. Sounds like that uh, professor teacher there sort of saved you or at least sent you in the right direction. I hope so. Yeah, I think so. I, I, took, his, I took his advice. I trusted him. You know, I didn't know him that well. But yeah, I mean, here I am. A management degree has, I guess, served me. I, I've had some pretty decent roles in the past, you know, 15 or so years. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm curious because you mentioned earlier uh, that your dad was a, was a pastor. Yep. How come you didn't head down that direction? Um, I, like I said, I, I've always been very rebellious um, okay. and I've always questioned, I've always questioned the church and I, I was, you know, I grew up basically in the church, um, going to Sunday school and watching my dad preach and everything like that. And I just never understood it, to be honest with you. Um, I just felt like it was a little bit extreme. And my feeling on that um, is that I think it's more important to be a good person and treat other people with respect. And maybe that's what it did teach me. Um, and I think religion was kind of created to provide structure and discipline for mass amounts of people. Um, I think it does serve a function. and I think it is good pe for people to have faith um, and spirituality um, in general in your life. Cause I think that's a core aspect of human nature, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I even thought about that in the last year, if it was something that, maybe I could still go into or even going into being like a teacher or something. Cause I, I did like what he did. You know, I think, I think it was great. And he made it, it made a big impact on a lot of people. Yeah, it definitely does have a big impact on people for sure. I remember when I was younger, um, we had to go to church all the time. Like every Saturday, Sunday, we had to go to church. Our parents like literally made us go. And then I remember when I turned about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old, my dad bought a, a speedboat. So we used to go to the lake and we started water skiing. We were learning to water ski and I, I was an altar boy. So every Saturday or Sunday I had to, you know, do my thing in church. And uh, that I was, yeah. miss, I was missing a few because I was busy, you know, being a young lad, a young teenager water skiing. So I remember the priest pulled me aside and said, Mike, you need to decide, is it going to be the church or is it going to be, is it going to be the lake? And I said, the lake, <laughs> and that was that. Mm -hmm. So now I, I pretty much, like you said, there is a place for it, but I pretty much go to church now for, you know, weddings and funerals and things like that. It's not a weekly thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's kind of taking the back seat. And I think, yeah, I mean, you're obviously up in Canada, I'm in the U S and I think religion has taken a little bit of a back seat. I, I mean, I, I don't shy away from people being religious. I'm not against it in any way, shape or form. I think people have the freedom to be able to, you know, have that religion or spirituality, whatever that is, everybody has different belief systems. That's right. And that's completely fine. And I think they align with just general 
human good values of just treating other people with respect, don't steal, don't lie. You know, it's those things that religion teaches. Um, but if you already have those core values, I mean, you don't really need, you don't really need it per se, in my mind at least. Yeah, you mentioned you're in the US. Where are you exactly, Patrick? So I'm in the Chicago land area. We call it the Chicago land area. So it's right outside of Chicago in the suburbs of Chicago. So I'm about, I think I'm about like 15 to 20 miles right outside the, the downtown area. Okay. University, I was there once, but I couldn't tell you where. It was close to the John, the John Hancock building, that neck of the woods. Yeah, it was probably the Chicago Loop. Um, that's where most tourists go. And um, there's a bunch of colleges. That's where I went down. Um, I traveled every day downtown. There's about four or five colleges within a few square blocks. Okay. All right, Patrick, I know you're, you're, um, you're passionate about this. So to, to, to wrap things up here, I just want to talk to you about well, we all know what's happening right now with COVID and everything else that's going on in the world, but what's your sense? Cause you do have a good read. Uh, you do have a lot of experience. What's your sense on what's going to happen in the next say six months to a year? I know that's a general question, um, but what's your gut feeling? Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel, um, I am passionate about this topic and I, I do believe it's a, it's a big farce, but at the same time, um, the mass population as a whole uh, does, at least in my mind, believe a lot of the stuff is uh, necessary, like a lot of the precautions and things like that. Mm -hmm. And going forward, I'm anticipating probably at least another year of some of these restrictions. I'm really, really hoping that the whole mask requirement goes away sooner than later. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you think about it, it may be a few years realistically until it kind of fades into oblivion. And really what that comes down to, it comes down to different politicians um, taking the stage, um, other ones retiring. With some of these old values, you almost have to wait for some of the, it's a big power struggle right now. It really is. And there's a lot of politics versus science being spewed with the whole COVID thing. And I think once these politicians and these people involved, I mean, it's large corporations too with the, I mean, with the vaccine and all that. Uh, but it seems like a lot of these corporate stakeholders are calling the shots versus the politicians. So, I mean, we may be under some of this for at least another year, I would predict. Yeah. And I know you have a solid media background. So what do you think about the media? Like that they're spinning this, they're running with this, they're not telling the truth or... What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's all propaganda, you know, and, and I've, I've said it before, if you compare, you know, just last year around the same time, everybody knew that there was the left, you know, more left leaning stations, you know, radio, as well as, you know, the TV stations. And you always knew that Hollywood as, as well as, uh, you know, tech companies were more left leaning. I mean, that's kind of, what was always been known, but you, you go, you fast forward to this year and it's become pretty apparent that it's not just leaning, it's more of forced propaganda. I mean, if you just peek into some of these articles and things that uh, they're posting, it's, it's usually bashing, even with small words. I mean, if you really look at the context and the type of verbiage that these, these companies use, it might just be one word that they kind of place in there as a descriptive uh, adjective for 
like maybe it's Trump or maybe it's, um, you know, COVID. It's manipulation. It's manipulation on a mass scale. And it's, I would say it's at least 95% of media outlets and social media that are leftist uh, propaganda. You know, it's okay to have an opinion, but when you're trying to force it down everyone's throat and nobody can really get an alternate um, viewpoint, that at that point it is propaganda. And you look at these other countries like in the past, I think Russia is probably still the same way, but every TV show and, and things like that is, is all propaganda for whoever the leader is. And then you have the election rigging, which is a whole other topic, which I just concluded an episode yesterday about the election fraud going on. I had a guest on um, that discussed it in, in detail, which I'm not that versed on it, but they, we've been doing this. We've been doing election meddling um, for years now, and now it's come home. It's come here. And that goes hand in hand with the propaganda in the media. And you guys are experiencing it up there too, I understand. Yeah, the propaganda thing, especially, you know, the power of the media and the power of the technology, the, it, it's a big thing. It's a factor for sure. It's, yeah. it's crazy, man. It's really discouraging. Yeah. So, yeah, there's the word discouraging. So that's what we don't want to end on. So to end on a positive note here, my friend, um, what's, what's some advice that you can give people listening today, whether it's about COVID, the propaganda we talked about, just about life in general, the media, if you want to, just what's your... What would you like to say to those folks? I'll, I'll say the same thing that I say to my kids. If, if there's a, a dream or a passion, maybe you don't know what that is. Um, what do you find yourself doing in your free time that's enjoyable, that brings joy? It might just be a small thing, you know? And I think tapping into that thing that makes you happy, the most happy, and trying to turn it into a profit in terms of turning it into a business, I think is the best way to be happy, um, whether that's photography or painting or writing poetry or building, you know, antique clocks, whatever that little kind of hobby is, embrace it and stay positive. Try to come up with some type of plan. Um, you know, if you've been displaced or, um, you know, fired or you're underemployed, whatever the case is, uh, you know, try to preoccupy yourself with the things, the little things that make you happy and pursue your dreams. You know, um, there's plenty of opportunity out there. And I, I do feel wholeheartedly that COVID has brought a, a, a tremendous opportunity for a lot of startup businesses and to, to pursue your dreams from the comfort of your own home. You know, and if you don't have a skill that you think that you need to learn, find a free option or find a low cost training program and learn that skill and, and apply it. You know, it, it's, it's going to make you happy in the future. And you don't want to, you want to really think back about 2020 and that you were building a foundation, you were building a structure, um, you know, to make a better life for yourself and your family. There you have it, folks. Very wise words from our guest today, Patrick Bouillette. Uh, he's, uh, as you heard, lots of experience in the media management side of things, whether it's business, leadership, wireless security, technology. He's done it all. Also, don't forget to tap into his podcast, 9 to 5 Hackers podcast. Please check it out. A lot of stuff going on there. So, Patrick, this was good, man. I like I learning a lot from you. You, you. you had a lot going on. You still have a lot going on. So, thank you very much for this. I appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you did, be sure to subscribe and share with your family and friends. And remember, you may be given a cactus in life, but you don't have to sit on it. Thank you.